ready for this? I got one thing to say. Just happen to be the greatest wrestling machine alive. It's all here. What a mega matchup! Universal Wrestling Podcast. I like this kind of party, baby. Universal Wrestling Podcast. My name is Nick Eaterding. Thank you for tuning in. We have a very special guest on the show. Tim, you're not as special as this guy. He is a UFC Hall of Famer, Impact Hall of Famer. The list goes on. It is Mr. Ken Shamrock. Ken, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. TK, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Nick. Thanks for having me. Ken, this is an absolute pleasure. I'm stoked to be here. Yes, sir. Ken, uh, let's get started. You debuted in 1997 in the WWE. Before that, you obviously had the UFC background, also the MMA style wrestling. But the transition from MMA and MMA style wrestling to whatever you want to call it, entertainment, pro wrestling, the WWE. Tell me about the transition and if that was uh, easy, hard, difficult. Let's hear it, brother. Yeah, I think most people forget that I actually was wrestling. Uh, pro wrestling first. Yep. Um, I went as uh, Vince Torelli uh, in the North and South Atlantic pro wrestling organizations um, in the late 80s and, and early 90s, I believe it was. Um, so then, of course, I went into the um, work shoot over in Japan and then the shoot in Japan and then, of course, the UFC and then from UFC into WWF and then back uh, into mixed martial arts. So uh, yeah, the road was traveled, but the transition really was, it was even a transition because I'd been out of it for a long time of wrestling uh, and fighting and then going from fighting into the WWF at that stage and that level. Yeah. Um, for me, it really was just about going in and being Ken Shamrock, um, taking everything I learned in the real world and bringing it into the entertainment world um, and using the same holds, same mentality. Um, same thought process, but not the same physicality. Um, and that's what I was taught. That's what Bret Hart told me to do was to be myself. Don't try to be a pro wrestler. But obviously, I'm not going to go in there and knock people out and, you know, do what I do for real. But if I can transit, trans, transition those, those holds, those submission holds into pro wrestling in a work style, then I would be different. I would be special. And so that's kind of what the actual purpose and my thought process of going into pro wrestling was to be able to bring in my style yeah. uh, into the entertainment world. And I was able to do that successfully. Unfortunately, I don't get a lot of credit for that. I think they want to kind of, you know, because if you think about it before Ken Shamrock, there was only a few holds that people got and they were resting holds. They weren't yeah. legitimate submission holds. Yep. I brought in legitimate submission holds, mixed them in with the entertainment, and now you see it everywhere in pro wrestling. Yeah, and I mean, even the angle lock, or ankle lock, I feel like that was something that you brought to the table. I'm not sure that I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that, but that's the first time I've ever seen it in, you know, 
entertainment aspect, pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Tim, I think you had a question before his WWE days. You want to get to it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Ken, you hit on that. So you started training wrestling before you went mixed martial arts. So it's kind of a twofold question. One, I want to know, did you always know you were the badass that you were before you kind of transitioned into the shoot style fighting? And two, when you did the shoot style fighting over in Japan, I know that you were fighting Minoru Suzuki a lot over um, with Pancreas. So if you want to talk about those fights a little bit and if you just knew you were a badass, because, man, you went right in. I was watching those videos earlier today in the last couple of days. Such a badass. Such a badass. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes lost because it's just so much time has passed. So people don't really understand who I was, um, you know, when it all started, because back when we started, um, they didn't have the rules and everything to protect them like they do now. Um, when we did it, it was literally you get kicked in the head on the ground, punching. It was a, it was it was a fight. And so I before started um, going into the UFC before I went into the UFC, um, I did tough mans and I was also in group homes and I fought a lot in group homes, which is, you know, protecting your space. I was in juvenile hall, um, fighting on the street, lived on the street when I was 10 years old, um, living out of a car. So I got thrown into the world of violence at a very, very young age. And so I had, it was either, two kinds of people when you come when you walk on the street you got cons and con artists um who talk their way and rip people up and do all kinds of things and never have to get physical and then you got the guys that are just tough you're going to know right up front what they're what they're thinking and you're going to know exactly what they want and i was one of those guys whereas like i wasn't a good talker i didn't know how to con people i didn't know how to take advantage of people but if you were side we were good to go but if you were against me we're gonna fight and uh and that's just the way it was and so at an early age i developed a i guess you could say a pattern of uh wanting to fight all the time and no matter what the situation was um that's how i solved things it wasn't through verbal confrontation it wasn't trying to work my way around something it was head on and it was you and me and if you've got a problem with me, we can solve it right here and now. And that's just the way I was from a young age. Obviously, as I got older and became more mature, I started to understand there's more to life uh, than trying to beat someone's head in all the time. Every time you have a disagreement, unfortunately um, for me, I, I was able to solve that issue before I started professional fighting. Yeah. Now, 90, 97, we talked about your debut, the transition, but backstage, who would, did anyone like take you under their wing? Who helped you transition from what you were doing to the WWE F at the time? Well, I got to give a shout out to Nelson Royal. Um, you know, that was my first experience besides my experience with Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, but that was not wrestling. That was me shooting on guys and beating them up and him collecting money and giving me a piece of it. So I didn't really have the understanding of pro wrestling working with him. Uh, I did trans, trans, transferred over to um, Nelson where I've got a, uh, uh, went and actually my father's the one that found him. And so we went down to Moser, North Carolina and tried out for his school. And I ended up making the, 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 the tryouts. That's where I really started to understand pro wrestling and get an understanding of this is what I, this is fun. I, I can do this. Yeah. And uh, so that was my first experience, first exposure to real 
pro wrestling was Nelson Roy. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, I know you're biting at the bit to talk about Brett. Ken I brought am. him up. I am. Let's talk I about was, it. I was getting after, there right now. Yeah, <laughs> only after 1997, you got into it with Brett and uh, Stone Cold. Timmy, take it away, brother. Yeah, I was uh, 13 years old with my grandfather sitting third row. Ken Shamrock, Brett. Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin fighting in the crowd. My Bret Hart actually whacked my grandfather on the shoulder. I go back and watch it on the network all the time. My grandfather's passed. Um, so I get to go see him on Peacock now all the time in that moment. It is so cool. How is that moment for you making your debut in front of that Chicago crowd in front of arguably, in, in my opinion, the greatest wrestling match of all time? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was very exciting for me, but like, uh, to be honest, when I first went into the match or even into the WWF, I wasn't sure how I was going to, because I had the experience early on being a pro wrestler and it was, it was fun and, and it was okay. But the reason why I went into fighting is because I wanted more, like I wanted to challenge myself more. So here I was, you know, years and years and years later going into the, one of the biggest entertainment businesses in the world and going back into something that I transitioned out of because I wanted more um, thinking to myself, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if it's going to be exciting to me, but I'm going to try it because I didn't have any other paths to go. And I felt like, well, I'll just bring my character, my moves and all the stuff into the entertainment business and we'll see what happens. Well, here I am thrown in with Bret Hart and Stone Cold. Yeah. And two guys that can work, I mean, and they can really put something together. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make these guys look good because in my mind, I'm like, I can't fake being real. I can't fake someone getting hit. I can't fake a match that's not real. And so in my head, I'm going, I don't know if I can pull this off because these guys are great, right, at what they do. I didn't know if I could do that because I was the real deal. Like I did things for real and I didn't want to mess this up. And I'm really going into this, not really sure about whether or not this is going to be turn out right. Right. Cause yeah. I didn't know a whole lot about how to, to get in there and do the rep and do this, do that. Five minutes into this match. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I don't know the difference between what I did when the UFC as opposed to what those guys were doing in the ring. It was that believable. It was that good that I personally myself got caught up into it as it being legitimate. And it, and you can ask those guys too, but they was pretty damn real. It, they, they went after one another. They did a great job. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of something that I, I agree with you. That is probably one of the greatest matches in wrestling history. Um, it changed an organization from being mediocre to being great, gave people today um, a reason to be able to watch wrestling and be proud of wrestling. Um, because before there was a lot of closet wrestlers, people just wouldn't tell people they watch wrestling. Um, but once that happened and the attitude era came around, people were proud to be wrestling fans. And even today, they're OK to be wrestling fans. So I yeah. think that started a generation of wrestling fans of being proud to watch wrestling because it was so vicious it was so real those guys did a tremendous job and i was fortunate to be a part of it yeah yeah they I beat the hell out of each other and yeah. uh you were a huge you, you were a huge part of the match uh you your presence in that match 
definitely added to the aura of it. So hell of a job. Well, I think those guys, because I was part of the match, um, those guys, I mean, they did me right too, because again, like I said, I was real and I fought and I was a world champion and, and the real deal. And going in in that match, those guys did me right. They 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 made me feel proud to be in that ring and rep that match because what they were doing in there, um, yeah, it was good. It was really good, and I was very proud to be a part of it. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a, a fly <laughs> on the a fly on the wall. How was that going into setting up that match? Yeah, basically, you know, when those guys went into their thing. Um, they just said, listen, man, uh, just do what you would normally do. Like, you, you, you've you been in fights before. You know how to be a referee. You know, you know rules. You know what, what is right, what's not right. You know how to do this, man. You just be you. Yeah. And um, so that's what I did. I went in there, and and even though I had my doubts because they, me being real and trying to portray this, and these guys were so good at what they did, um, I just wasn't sure that I was able to, to pull it off. But like I said, um, they did one heck of a job, um, and they did. They put their bodies through hell, um, putting that match together and and making it be what people wanted to see. I believe they wanted yeah. wrestling to be more real than entertainment. They didn't want to see guys doing the walk and flipping their hair back and doing. All, they wanted this thing in your face, tough guy, and yeah. that's what they got. Yeah. Yeah, it sure was. And and Ken, just to piggyback on that then, you then got yourself involved in this feud. One of my favorite matches, again, of all time, look at 97. It's a theme, obviously. Canadian Stampede in your house. Uh, you know, that 10-man tag was incredible. Unfortunately, you know, six out of 10 of those guys have passed away. You know, my childhood heroes, it's, it's, it's sad. You work with them. They're your friends. Talk to me about the atmosphere of that match, that feud. I mean, that was, that crowd had to be just insane. Yeah, you're standing there um, on the apron, and you can literally feel your skin rumble. It was that loud. Um, it was one of the loudest crowds. I've been a, I've been in front of a, over 110,000 people when I was in Japan, Tokyo Dome, and they were screaming um, when chanting. Um, but this crowd, man, was the, the stampede was just unbelievable. Um, it was probably, at least from where I was standing and the sound, was probably the loudest I've ever heard any building. Um, and there's some that have been close, but not quite like this, especially the size of it, um, not being huge like some of them where you get the loudness. But, it, you know, it was, it, was a, it was an impactful thing. And every single one of us in that ring just felt chills go down our, our body because we knew this was special. Yeah. Ken, 98 was a huge year for you. IC title, king of the ring, tag team. We never really talk much about the big boss, man. I would love to get your take on the big boss, man, and that tag team or that uh, title run with, uh, with him. Yeah, he was great. Um, really easy to work with. Um, would do anything for you. Just a great guy. Um, he's one of the good ones. So you talk about Owen Hart, one of the good ones. Yeah. He was another one. He was just a good dude, right? I mean, uh, you could trust him. Um, he tells you do something, he do it. Um, so I really enjoyed working with him. He was one of the one of the good guys. Yeah, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame 2016. That was a really cool moment for me and for wrestling fans. Uh, Ken Hall of Fame, like we said, uh, UFC Impact. 
WWE, we're still waiting. Obviously, you know, me and TK believe that you should be in there. What's the deal there? Do you care? Do you want to be in the Hall of Fame? Or is it just, you know, if it happens, great, it happens? Oh, of course I care. I mean, I think anybody that does anything uh, at the highest level wants to be recognized for their greatness. Um, but again, that's not, it's, it's out of my control. And, you know, I think that, you know, obviously I think I did enough for me to be recognized, especially if you see some of the guys that have went in there, because I mean, if you really look at it, you know, I was there for what, two, two and a half years. And uh, let's not even talk about the length of when I was there. Let's just talk about, did I make it, did I leave it better than it was before I left? Did I do things that were um, everlasting? And because being a Hall of Fame, you've got to be that above everything else, things that you did that left an impression on the organization forever. And and those are things that you look at for Hall of Fame material, not just winning championships, not just doing certain things. But did you build the company? Did you help make that company become something different for the future? And if you look at the this the the stamps that are all over wrestling. It's Ken Shamrock, the submission holds. I brought those in. I mixed them in with pro wrestling and now everybody's doing it. So I just believe that if, if, if you're looking at it and you, and you want to figure out whether or not I do or do not belong in there, those things you look at. So I look at it and say, absolutely. I believe I belong in there. But again, it's out of my control. Those are things that I cannot control. Um, you know, I was already inducted in the other Hall of Fames and things that I've done. Obviously, I'm very proud of that. But if I don't get into WWE, it's not something that I'm going to lose sleep over. Obviously, I see yeah. it's something important, but those are decisions that I cannot control. And therefore, I just have to move on and do other things to make sure that my legacy and my life and my family are left in a better place. Right. And that, that makes sense. And like Nick said, we both think that you definitely belong in the Hall of Fame. You put a stamp on it. We had never seen, I had never seen an Inkalak until you came in. No. The way you would throw people, your facial expressions, you were the real deal. You held the Intercontinental, you held the tag team championships. You were in some of the greatest factions of all time, the corporation, the corporate yes. ministry, let's even the union, it. baby. Let's but, talk let's, about it. Come on, yeah, Timmy. Let's, yeah, I was just going to say, let's talk about some of these factions. You, you were there for two and a half, three years. What did you enjoy the most um, that your time in the corporation? Did you like the corporate ministry or, or not at all? No, I enjoyed. Uh, I think I enjoyed the majority of the time I was there. I just felt like after I got in about a year, almost two years, somewhere around there, it just felt like there was a shift um, towards things that were just uncomfortable. Um, some of the storylines that they were looking for me to be in, I, I it was, you know, didn't like that. Um, the Brett, the screw job on Brett Hart, where, you know, your, your biggest, your biggest, I think, fear in wrestling is someone you have to trust that other person. That person could hurt you because you're giving them your body. Yeah. And then seeing what happened with Brett Hart, where it came down from the top that it was okay to screw your partner in the ring when you're supposed to go in and trust one another. Um, that, that was also another thing at the end that worried me. I felt like 
if they could do that to Brett and and spin that around, whatever their reasons were, right? You're tricking somebody and you could have hurt somebody in the process because they don't know something's coming. Um, and I felt like that's something that I, I feared working with some guys doing these high moves and high spots that I had to trust and they were going to be able to pull it off or otherwise I could end up in a wheelchair. Um, so those things that happened at the end, I think those are the things that kind of made it not fun anymore. It was almost like there was the trust and the comfortability of working there faded. Yeah. Did you ever think about WCW when your WWF run was done? No. Um, I, I, I felt like WWF was the godfather of pro wrestling. You know, that if you're, if you're going to get into wrestling and you want to do it at the highest level, WWF is the place to be. Uh, there's no second. Obviously, now, 100 years down the road, we've got AEW that seems to be pulling out. And, you know, Vince is retired. And, you know, we'll see if they can recapture that magic that Vince was able to do for so long. We don't know that yet, but we'll see. But I know AEW is definitely moving fast. But back when I was doing it and, and you know, even 10 years ago, I mean, if you were getting into pro wrestling, you want to be able to do it at the highest level. And WWF was it. Yeah. Now, this uh, this podcast is not about politics at all, but obviously you brought up Vince. We don't have to talk about that. But Triple H, F, Nick Khan, they are now in charge. What are your thoughts about that and then the future of WWE? I don't know. Um, That's out of my area, you know, uh, see what happens, man. You know, you got a guy that, uh, that literally built this organization, um, into what it was with Vince, um, and came up with all kinds of these great storylines and different ways of doing things and broke, broke the mold, um, in some cases on what you can and can't do on TV. Um, so he was, he was a genius in that, you know? And so I just, it's hard to replace guys like that. And you just don't know. And obviously, you know, the, it can still be successful, but you know, time will tell no one's able to put a stamp on it and say, yep, you're going to be successful because it doesn't work that way. So I think it's just time waiting to see what happens. But I think Vince was one of the, the, the greatest minds ever when it comes to entertainment. Yeah, I think we can all agree there. Maybe politics aside, we can agree he is the. Yeah, you don't got to like him for exactly him as a person or whatever his other things were. But when you cut all that aside and you look at what he did in pro wrestling and how he was able to make guys millions and millions and millions of dollars, and and WWE's got to be worth billion now. I mean, it's just just massive. Oh yeah, Um, content, everything. So. Look where it came from to where it is. And Vince was a mastermind. I mean, he was the sole controller of it. He built that. And yeah. that's very rare that someone builds something that big and that he doesn't have people that besides himself that own it. He is the sole owner of a billion dollar company. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Does Ken Shamrock's Hall of Fame candidacy change? The trip uh, with Vince McMahon not in charge anymore, or you think he's still running everything on the backside? Nothing matters. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would just be speculating, but yeah, you know, 
I, I really haven't thought about it because, you know, I've done everything that I've ever done. I've always reached the, the elite level and I was able to be in the Hall of Fames and, and, you know, almost everything I've ever done and become champion uh, in all these different places that I went to. I was never second best. I've always done it. Um, for me, I know what I am. I know what I've done. I know how, value, how valuable I was during those times to help things be successful. Um, so it's not about someone telling me or giving me something for me to feel good, um, or for my family to recognize me as being good, or even my fans to recognize me of the things that I did. So it's not going to be a hall of fame. That's going to crush my career. Um, because I think people are going to remember it the way they want to remember it. And whether I'm in the hall of fame or I'm not in the hall of fame, they're going to remember whether or not there were moments in their life that I was able to do something to make them happy. Yeah. Now your UFC career was second to none, but winning the intercontinental championship, the first title in the WWE for you, that's got to feel good. How was that? Yeah, it was exciting. I felt like, you know, having the feud with the rock and, and the great matches that we put together um, you know, it was it was the road to my chance to to contend for the title. Did the tag team, won King of the Ring, won the Intercontinental. The next thing was going to be contending for the heavyweight title. Unfortunately, as I explained earlier on, a lot of things happened that kind of mucked the water yeah. and it just never materialized. And a lot of people say this and a lot of people that have brilliant minds in wrestling will tell you they just didn't know what to do with me. There was all kinds of angles they could have used. Stone Cold Ken Shamrock, Bret Hart, Ken Shamrock. I mean, there was there was so many opportunities um, for them to use me. Kurt Angle, when he came in, um, there was Steve Blackman. There was just so many things yes. that could have built angles on, but they just didn't know what to do with it. I was the guy that came in and said, listen, it's possible. These moves could be worked into pro wrestling. There is something here, but it didn't take it till Brock Lesnar went in there where they really started to figure out, oh, legitimate, we could take this guy, we could build him, we could put him in this role. Um, they could have done the same thing with me that they did with Brock because I was legitimately a tough guy with a no rules, no rules background as a professional where anything goes, whereas yeah. Brock came in and he was an MMA fighter, obviously still tough, still great. But the role that I had was bare knuckle tournaments, five man, six man, 10 man tournaments, and the baddest guy is going to win. So I just think like I kind of broke the mold for them to realize that there is an opportunity to build somebody here. They just didn't know when I came in what to do. Yeah. Was there a time, Ken, that you thought you were going to get that rocket strapped to your back and you're going to win the world championship? I know you had the match with Sean at in your house. Um, I, I thought you had a match with Taker for the title at some point, um, if I recollect correctly. Was there a time that you thought you you might, you know, get that rocket and get the belts, or were you never feeling it? Yeah, I felt like there was an opportunity when they gave me a couple matches with about two or three different guys that had the strap, but they were just one-night matches. And I felt like they were just testing the waters with it. But I think when 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 things got kind of just doused. Because Brett came to me and said that he was going to drop the strap to me. Like, if he was going to drop it, he was going to want to work the angle with me and drop it to me. And, and he, that's what he told me. 
And that was the time where they were trying to put the strap on Sean. And I didn't know this. Like, I had no clue about what was going on. And, of course, then the the screw job happened and, and, and things went sideways. And that's when, that's when I realized that, you know, you know, this is, this is not, and it was probably a, I would say four to five weeks after that, that I realized that, you know, things were not moving in the same direction um, that they were before this. Um, I was having to put other guys over, which is not a big deal. It, it happens. And, and I've done it before. It's, I don't care. But it was the way that I was having to put them over that I was like saying, I'm not doing that. That's not the angle I want to use. So it was just really weird on the the transition from me moving upward to all of a sudden it just went flat. Like, you know, these angles that were just weird. I couldn't do them. uh, Having to lose to certain people. It was like I came in with this world's most dangerous man. I built that. WWF didn't build that. I built that. And I'm not walking out of here less than what I came in with. Yeah. Yeah. This is a a random question, but dude, I loved your theme song. How did that come to be? Did you sit down with Jim Johnson or did it, did he just say, yo, Ken, this is it. This is what we're going to use. Cause just with the, the, the entrance, the, the song that uh, whatever, it was just, I don't know, something else, kind of like the stone cold, kind of like the rock. It was just something that you've never heard before. And then you got this guy coming out who looks like, you know, a million bucks, the most dangerous man, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? How did that come to be your uh, entrance song? Well, I told him what I wanted. I wanted something impactful, something that would be sharp and edgy. And they gave me a couple versions and I kept tweaking it a little bit, but they literally came up with the song. I mean, they're the ones that put it together. Yeah. But I had a little bit of input in it because I wanted a little bit more at times. I wanted to be a little more of a bang and more of a hard rock. So I had a say of how I was, what I wanted. They put the actual music together, but I did want something that was more like a hard rock thing. Yeah. Timmy, I mean, we discussed Brent Stone Cold. I know you had a few questions about The Rock, the IC title, that uh, that steel chair shot to the head. Timmy, let's hear it. Yeah, I, you know, they always say don't try this at home. I've taken <laughs> a, a couple of steel chair shots for my buddies in my day. Nothing crazy. That, that shot on national television was still to this day one of the craziest chair shots I've ever seen this 20 years later. Are you still feeling the effects of that? You've been in a thousand fights. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and that's the thing. You talked about Hall of Fame and things. There's a lot of things, and you just keep going over more and more and more that change pro wrestling. Nobody has ever taken a shot like that. Now you see people doing it all the time. So um, it's actually safer to take a shot with your forehead, not your face. It looks like your face, but it's your forehead because that's how you hit people when you're playing football or. Like when you're the strongest part of your head is your forehead. Stick it in top of your head or back of your head, man, that's dangerous. And I just wasn't going to take it like that. No. So I mean, literally said I wanted the shot to my face. Um, the reason why I told him that was because I would be in control where it landed. Um, if he swang from my face, I would be in control where it would land. And uh, and that's why I told him, I want you to hit me in the face. Um and then he looked, you know, obviously he said, you're crazy. I said, no, do it. I said, I'll take care of myself. You just make sure you swing it. And yeah. Hit me in the face or otherwise I ain't selling it. And he said, well, I'll hit you. <laughs> so um, it wasn't bad. I know a lot of people keep saying, dude, that if it would have been the back of my head, I'd have been in the hospital. Yeah. Um, 
But because it was in the front and I told him, you better swing it because I knew I could take it. I mean, I've been in fights before and, I, and, and I've been playing football my whole life. And I knew if I got hit in the forehead, there's nothing going to hurt me. And so it was comfortable for me to tell him that because I knew I would be okay. Um, the only thing that could happen was the chair could collapse and I could get cut. Um, but that was okay. I was willing to take that risk. So when he swang it, I took it. I took it right in the forehead. It caught my nose too, but it was okay because I felt like I saw it coming. It hit me in the forehead um, and I went down and I keep telling people, yeah, it was a hard shot. I wouldn't have it any other way, but I fought my whole life, man. And so those are things I'm okay with. As yeah. long as I see it coming, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, the Rock is something special. I don't think we'll ever see something like that again. Um, did you know that when you were in the feud, when you met him, did you know that he was going to be what he is now? When we started the feud, Rock hadn't become what he had to become. I think the minute they gave him the mic and they let him start talking, they got him out of the nation. They let him start cutting some promos. You could see the talent. You could see the startup. I knew when he grabbed the mic and I saw him go on the mic and then we got in there and we started sharpening up his skills with his matches because that's when we really took off was me and him were working together and that he literally formed the rock um, and, and out of that and that character. And uh, I think the mic skills is what puts him over the top is that he was just so smooth and so spot on with his interviews and his his comebacks and his remarks um, that he captured the world. Yeah. Were those, were those promos heavily scripted or was that just him getting the mic and just going and letting loose? No, there's a little bit of planning, but really it's really about him playing in the moment. I mean, think he just grabbed the mic and obviously he had certain things that he, he had to go by, but I think that he played off the mood and the moment and actual other characters that are there are, are the opposite of him. Uh, he uses all of that in his mind and he spins it into his words. And he did, like I said, he's just a genius when it comes to being able to yeah. come across on the mic like he does with the, you better smell what the rock is cooking. I mean, he's just brilliant in things that he came yeah. up with. Yeah. We talked about Owen. Let's hear it. Do we got any good ribs? It doesn't have to be about Owen just in general. Do you have any good ribs? No, I just, I know he did one to me. And it, I don't know if it was good or not, but in the, in the, at, the at the time it was freaking nasty, but <laughs> oh, or at least shit. it felt nasty was that he had actually greased up the, the door handle with Vaseline and uh, we were in the, in a locker room. And so when I went to grab the door, cause he said they wanted to come and they needed to talk to me and the door closed, I couldn't get the door open because it was one of those turn handles and it was just so slimy. And <laughs> I didn't know what it was at first, man. And it was just nasty, but, that's the kind of stuff Owen would do. I think Owen was a fun guy. He never went beyond the point where, like, some guys would cut your sleeves off. That's just wrong. That's yeah. fighting. Those are fighting things. Owen did things that were, you know, funny and, and they weren't detrimental to you. Um, you know, so Owen was a great guy. I really enjoyed him. And he was always having fun. And that's why he was so good to be around. You also, during that, that uh, same time, frame you worked a lot with the british bulldog as well how was working with him he was another good guy obviously he he was a little bit more uh i think sometimes getting bad moods but i think there was a lot probably going on outside of yeah. of wrestling um especially when i got there 
Um, but for me, me and him always got along and it was always respectful, always a good dude. Yeah. Um, but he was also one of those guys with no nonsense. You know, if you say something to me, I'm going to get in your face. That's just who he was. He was a bulldog. Um, yeah. So I respected him and, and I got along with him very well. Yeah, I mean, awesome. we talked about ribs. We talked about Owen Hart. We talked about the backstage. But what about WrestleCourt? Were you ever involved in that? Did you ever have to go to WrestleCourt? I didn't get involved in that. No. Um, no, that was that was that was. I don't think too many people got involved in that. I think it was more of a just core group of people. Yeah, um, that like they Taker, had going on. JBL, right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But I think like Bret Hart, Stone Cold, um, myself some of the other guys that we had different storylines that we were going to different, different places. So, but I, I would have liked to have been, it was, it, it looked like it was pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got Timmy? Anything else? Yeah. Last thing, uh, you know, sorry to keep bringing up all these old wrestlers, but I'm talking to you and you worked with them. The Legion of doom, you 1997, again, you were prominently, you teamed with them a bunch. You wrestled, you feuded with the nation. You feuded with the hearts how was teaming with hawk and animal yeah um hawk was one of those guys was like when you became his friend he would go to war with you and uh he was just one of those kind of guys and you didn't even have to be right <laughs> if you were his friend he was gonna fight for you um animal good dude just a genuine guy everybody looks like him is like being a tough guy man he was a gentle guy he was really a cool dude yeah. Uh, both those guys together, you had the aggressor and you had a guy that was trying to manage the aggressor. Um, and so that was Animal. Animal was the one that was managing and trying to keep everybody on time. So he was a, he was a he was a pro's pro. Animal was a pro's pro. Hawk was a wild man. <laughs> so all the stories are true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so cool. I love yeah. those guys. I love you know you, everyone we've talked about so far. This is this has been awesome. Thank you so much again, Ken. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two more things. Ronda Rousey, she is in the WWE. She's kicking ass. What do you think about that? I've, I've always, you know, especially after I've kind of opened the doors for that pathway, yeah. I've always thought that it was a great opportunity for fighters to be able to continue to keep doing stuff they love doing without taking the the – or actually not having to go in and actually get knocked out yeah, uh, or do more damage to themselves when it comes to the brain. Um, but obviously wrestling's hard. Your body's going to get beat up. So it's not an easy thing to go in and do this, but these guys are physically fit. They're still young enough to be able to go in and have fun. And I think it's a great, a great doorway from a professional fighter to a professional pro wrestler. There's a great doorway because you get to still go out and have fun and, and enjoy the fans Without going in into training and beating yourself up day in and day out, um, you get to go into pro wrestling. But it's still you still get beat up, but not at the same sense of it. Like you could still kind of protect yourself um, when you go into pro wrestling. But I've always said that when you go through a career of fighting, whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA, um, pro wrestling is always a great alternative after you've already achieved your success in wrestling or I'm in fighting. You can go into pro wrestling and, and achieve some success there and have fun and hang out with your fans a lot longer. Yeah. 
Let's end this on a high note. I'm going to give you a few names, just a description. What do you think? Your thoughts, whatever comes to your mind. Let's hear it. So first name, Ray Mysterio. Uh, wow. Um, high flyer. Eddie Guerrero. Oh, tech, a, te a technician. Dana White. Pass. Vader. <laughs> oh, a big teddy bear. Joe Rogan. Uh, brilliant. The Undertaker. Oh, class act. Two more. Steve Blackman. Oh, tough as nails. And the last one. He's still on, uh, on our TVs today. Chris Jericho. Clever. Clever. Ken, you are the man. Tim, thank you very much. Ken, this might be a stupid question, but how can the people find you? Yeah, you can go to kenshamrock.com, um, and we got all our stuff on there. And also, you can go to valorbk.com and check out when our next fights are coming up. We're doing our, our launch party January 7th, and we're going to be actually um, making our announcements for our next three fights. So, Go to KenShamrock.com and check out everything that I'm doing. I got appearances that I'm doing across the United States. If you want to follow me, go check it out. KenShamrock.com. ValorBK.com. Bare Knuckle Fighting. Go check that out. We're going to make our announcements. We got our launch date, January 7th. We'll see you guys then. Awesome. TK, how can the people find you? Give them what they want. Nick, thank you so much for having me. Ken, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you again. You can find me, FloorSlipperSports.com, FloorSlipperSports YouTube. You can find the Wrestling Index podcast on all audio platforms. And again, guys, thank you so much. Yeah, Ken, you are the man. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. You can find us on Twitter at the UW Pod and Instagram at UW Podcast. Peace. Later. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.